Every king needs an ally or sidekick, and England's King Henry II was no exception. He found his buddy in his chancellor, Thomas Becket. In this episode of Footnoting History, we begin our two-part examination of the 12th century friendship that devolved into conflict, ended in bloodshed, and created a martyr. Hey everyone, Christine here to talk about one of medieval history's most infamous friendships slash feuds. And in the spirit of full disclosure, this topic was the focus of my undergraduate thesis when I was a wee budding historian, so I'm always going to love talking about it. I love it so much that I split it into two episodes so we could cover it more in depth than one would allow. This episode, we are going to build the friends part up, and in the next one, we're going to watch everything crumble to the ground. It's a story that has been told in plays and films like Beckett, in verse by T.S. Eliot, and in novels like my personal favorite adaptation of the story, Sharon K. Penman's Time and Chance. It involves royalty, religion, and two larger-than-life, but very much real, men. And it all began in the year 1154. In 1154, on December 19th to be exact, a coronation took place in England. That coronation officially marked the beginning of the reign of King Henry II and his wife, Queen Eleanor of Aquitaine. Henry was 21 years old, and he did not come to the throne easily. His maternal grandfather, that is to say his mother's father, had also been king of England, King Henry I. Henry I had two legitimate children, a son named William and a daughter named Matilda. Matilda would grow up to be our Henry's mother. William died before his father in 1120, during an ill-fated voyage on the White Ship, a story you might remember from my episode aptly titled King Henry I of England and the White Ship. I know, a little bit on the nose there. If you haven't heard it yet, but you have an interest in it, certainly do go to our archive or wherever you listen to podcasts and have a listen, but I digress. So, after William's death, King Henry I had only one legitimate child left, Matilda, and it was his hope that the realm would rally around her and make her queen when he died. Well, that didn't happen. When Henry I died in 1135, the crown did not pass to his daughter, but to his nephew, who became England's first, and to this date only, King Stephen. Matilda, though, was not one to give up. And only two years after Henry was born, in March of 1133, to Matilda and her second husband, Count Geoffrey of Anjou, he entered into a world where conflict was the order of the day. Henry grew up watching his mother fight for, but never retain, hold of the English crown. He also saw his father strengthen the family's hold on Normandy in what is now northwestern France, and Henry himself was invested as Duke of Normandy. From a young age, he was never out of politics. On May 18, 1152, Henry took a bride. This bride was Eleanor of Aquitaine, who just happened to be the newly divorced wife of French King Louis VII. This marriage, of course, did not end Henry's support of his mother's quest to have the throne of England returned to her family line, but by this point, Matilda had reluctantly accepted that she would probably never be Queen of England, so she shifted her focus to having the crown secured for her son. Makes sense, because she wanted to come back into the line, even if it wasn't going to be to her. So in 1153, the stars aligned in their favor. Although it was clear that Stephen would reign until the end of his life, once his own son Eustace passed away, and as a side note, no one really liked Eustace anyway, 
things truly began to favor Henry becoming Stephen's successor and restoring the line to exactly how Matilda and Henry believed it should have been from the start. By the end of the year, negotiations concluded and it was declared that Henry would be the next king, though few could have successfully wagered that Stephen would pass away less than a year after that, and yet that is exactly what happened. And that's why, on the aforementioned December 19th, 1154, Henry and Eleanor were crowned king and queen of England. What a joyous time! Henry II reached his kingly goal and was ready to set to work asserting his influence and mending a realm that had spent almost 20 years embroiled in a confusing, messy war often referred to as the Anarchy, because that's how bad things got. Almost immediately working at his side was the man who became one of his best friends, Thomas Beckett. Thomas Beckett's origin story has very little in common with Henry's. Beckett was over a decade older than Henry, born likely in December of 1120 or even 1119. His parents were named Gilbert and Matilda, and Gilbert was a property owner in London where Beckett was born, and he at one point served as sheriff of the city. Beckett was educated to the best extent of his family's ability and eventually developed a love of horses and hawking. However, any high sights that his parents had for him went out the window when the family's properties were destroyed and therefore their finances ruined. This meant that Thomas's plans for the future had to immediately go to a plan B. Plan B meant getting a job. The first job that was arranged for him was by his father, and it involved serving as a clerk in the banking house of one of their wealthier relations. Beckett filled this position for around two years until, in 1145, he was able to swing his way out of the banking house and into the much more prestigious household of Theobald, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Now, in the 12th century, the most important Archbishop of the Catholic Church in England was the Archbishop of Canterbury. So, Beckett essentially went from being the son of a man whose finances were destroyed, and who, as a result, saw his prospects vanish, to working for the most powerful man representing the Catholic Church in England. In his position as clerk for Theobald, he was sent abroad to study law, and he went on missions where he got to represent the archbishop. To his credit, he apparently made a very good impression on Theobald, because in 1154, Beckett received a promotion. When Theobald had the opportunity to bump his current Archdeacon Roger up to the loftier position of Archbishop of York in Northern England, that meant Roger's spot as Archdeacon was empty, and Theobald chose Beckett to fill it. The position came not only with increased influence, responsibility, and prestige, but also increased money as he would be receiving income from a variety of locales over which he became the religious custodian. It also put him in line to meet England's up-and-coming new king. Okay, so much to my personal dismay, and no doubt to the dismay of many other historians who are fascinated by this story, we cannot put an exact date on when Henry II and Thomas Beckett first met, so there will be no, like, meet-cute here. But we do know that very shortly after Henry II became king, Archdeacon Thomas Beckett was made Henry's chancellor. In this period, being chancellor meant, as defined by historian W.L. Warren, being master of the royal chapel and head of the secretariat. 
which put Beckett in a position where he would be the king's confidant who held the responsibility for taking all of the royal will, a.k.a. Henry's will, and turning it into letters, charters, and other written documents. Basically, it was still being a clerk, which was what Beckett had been doing for years, just different because it was being a clerk for the King of England. Archbishop Theobald was essential to Beckett being put forward for the position, and by the time the year was out, Beckett was signing things in his new role and becoming Henry's closest friend. The two must have made an interesting pair. Beckett, I mentioned, was over a decade Henry's senior, and he is typically described as having been tall and thin with dark hair and pale skin. He's also attributed with being charming and ambitious, with a serious love and appreciation for dressing in a flashy way and making an impression. On a personal side of things, for what it's worth, there's no known record of Beckett ever having a lover, love interest, or desire to marry anyone at any point, and it has generally been accepted that he was celibate. Henry was quite different, not just because of his lack of celibacy, he had many children with his wife and a few that were illegitimate. In contrast to Beckett, he was of medium height and strong build with reddish hair. Henry was tireless, always on the move to take care of things and dragging his court with him. And while he displayed great moments of gentility and was considered quite approachable, no one would deny the fact that he had a famously strong temper. He was a big fan of hunting, hawking, and reading, and no doubt bonded with Beckett over the hawking love, but he did not share Beckett's penchant for being ostentatious. Perhaps his most enduringly discussed trait, though, was his absolute need to hold on to all power at all times. If thinking of Beckett and Henry as friends makes you feel like you're listening to an episode about a medieval odd couple, you might not be too far off. Yet something about the pairing seemed to work. With Henry leading and Beckett at his side, the two took to the task of revitalizing and reviving the country. Henry established his vision of order and control methodically, earning the description of cunning as a fox from those who were not fans of him, He dealt with the country's lengthy disintegration of justice, as well as his own family quarrels, and managed to bring barons who had been more or less allowed to run amok during the conflict back into line. And Beckett was a big part in all of Henry's actions, both domestic and abroad. A few years into their friendship, both King and Chancellor paid visits to the French court in order to carry out political negotiations that would ultimately result in the arrangement of a marital alliance between Henry's eldest son, Henry the Young King, who had his own episode in footnoting history, and the daughter of King Louis VII. It is a great reflection of their odd couple-esque status that, when Henry traveled to the French court, he did so with only a small, for a king anyway, escort, and he had no interest in the grandiose showy trappings that usually came with royalty. In complete contrast, Beckett traveled with the sort of entourage that blew the minds of the French court and became legendary. We're talking hundreds of footmen, greyhounds, mounted knights, falconers, and horses carrying monkeys. In my head, it was kind of like a medieval English version of the song Prince Ali from Disney's Aladdin. You know that one? Yeah, that's exactly how I envision it, but with Thomas Beckett instead of Aladdin coming through at the end. Beckett, at this point in his life, was a big fan of glamour, and he had no problem partaking in all the benefits of being the king's buddy, and he made a huge impression. When Henry launched a military campaign in Toulouse, a region he wanted to control 
but that the French king also wanted, Becket was at the forefront, literally. Not only did he have a major say in arranging the whole ordeal, but it's believed that he took the field, leading several hundred soldiers in the king's name. The archdeacon, who became a king's chancellor, was now also part soldier as well. And in 1161, it became entirely possible that he would add yet another title to his resume. In April of that year, Archbishop Theobald passed away. This meant that the position of Archbishop of Canterbury was vacant, and Henry would have the opportunity to propose somebody to fill it. If you guessed that someone would be Thomas Becket, you are correct. This isn't to imply that it was a rash decision. Despite the near-immediate start of rumors that Becket would be chosen, over a year passed between the old archbishop's death and Thomas Becket taking his place. From Henry's perspective, Becket had a lot of things going for him as a candidate, like his possible similarities to Theobald. After all, Becket was raised in the religious and administrative senses in Theobald's household. He also had ties to the late archbishop and had been influenced by him. I mean, how could he not be? Theobald was pretty much the main reason Henry even knew Becket to begin with. Henry had really, you know, no reason to think Becket would not do his best in the role of archbishop, and of course, they were already really close friends and confidants. For Henry, having his chancellor also serve as archbishop would be an outward symbol of crown church unity, and who wouldn't want to have somebody they trust in a position to work with them on such an important political relationship? However, Becket was also hardly the only qualified candidate. There were numerous men already well entrenched in the church who could fill the spot. And the selection of Becket would break a really long tradition of choosing monks to become the Archbishop of Canterbury. And many of those other candidates really wanted to keep that line intact. It's believed that even at varying times, Henry and Becket each had concerns about what this appointment would mean for them in the long term. But ultimately, the decision was made, and Henry put forth Becket as his nominee for replacing Archbishop Theobald. Henry's will prevailed, and in May of 1162, Becket was elected to the highest position of the church in England. Once that was out of the way, Becket underwent a whirlwind 24 hours when on June 2nd, he was ordained a priest, and then on June 3rd, he climbed straight up the religious ladder and was consecrated as archbishop before a gathering of religious and Henry the Young King, who was representing his father, who was still on the European continent. In August, Becket's position was given the final approval it needed to be legitimate. He received word from the Pope that he was confirmed as archbishop in the eyes of the wider church. Achievement totally unlocked. Thomas Becket, super friend and chancellor to the King of England, Henry II, was now also trusted to hold the position of Archbishop of Canterbury. If this was a superhero film, we would be like playing epic music because the team had officially formed. So what could possibly go wrong? As it turns out, almost everything. This wonderful duo did not last very long. Because almost immediately after Thomas Becket received his confirmation from the Pope, he resigned from the role of Chancellor. How did Henry take that? Well, I guess you'll have to find out about the controversy that turned these two friends into enemies and ended up with only one man standing in our next episode, coming your way on March 23rd. This has been Footnoting History. 
If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. <laughs>